The reading is from Romans 12, verse 16 through 19. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do good, what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I've heard this comment a couple of times um, from folks that have come or started coming to Christ Covenant. They'll say, you know, the singing part is a little uncomfortable uh, for us or for me. The lights are up. The music's not so loud. People can hear me singing. People can see me singing. It's a little uncomfortable for me. And I've, I've certainly got that. If you feel that way, you know, I... I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but, but it's interesting that people have said that because the kind of way that we sing here with people seeing and hearing one another is how the church is saying for actually most of its history. Um, this kind of hyper-individualized worship culture is kind of a new thing, it, um, you know, where the music's really loud, you can't hear anything, the lights are down, you can't really see anything. It's kind of a new phenomenon in uh, church history. In fact, when I've been a part of those worship services, I've even heard worship leaders say things like, don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about people around you. This is just you and God. And, and while I do think it is certainly right to sing to the Lord and for you personally, individually, to worship the Lord, Christian worship, at least as it's outlined in the Bible, is never just an individual thing. It is a personal thing. But it's never just an individual thing. In fact, the instructions of the New Testament are more about how we sing to one another. Here's a couple passages. This is Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. Similarly, in Colossians 3, we read, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this is interesting. Again, certainly right to sing to the Lord, but the, the, the direction that we see, at least in the New Testament, at least in Scripture, is that we have a corporate duty as we are filled with the Spirit, as we are filled with the Word of God, to one another. And what I'm saying is your part in, in singing and participating in worship is, is a corporate act. You're here for one another. You're, you're expressing yourself among a body. And that's something that we've just tried to reflect. In fact, we're, you know, we're building this new building now. We're actually paying some extra money to have windows put in we don't want it to be dark. We want it to be light so that we can see one another, so that we can understand that we're not alone in the Christian life. This idea, I think, is so important because it's an analogy to the church. 
of something bigger that's going on. When we sing, it's analogous to really how we operate as a whole body. Some of you are old enough um, that you grew up in a church with hymn books. Um, some of you aren't, and that's okay. But I grew up in a church with hymn books, and hymn books did a lot of different things for the church. And I'm not suggesting that we're bringing hymn books back here, but there was, some, there was something to it that was good. And number one is the hymn book kind of gave the church a theological canon. The songs that you sang or that you sing now are instructive to you. And so having kind of a canon of those songs, a, uh, you know, a collection of those songs was, was, was great for the church. It kind of said, this is the things that we hold to, that we confess, that we believe as a body. Another thing that the hymn book did, though, um, was that it, it had different parts of music. There was notes. You know, here we, paste the, we put the lyrics on the screen. But if you read a hymn book, it had all of the music. And that wasn't arbitrary. It was an invitation to sing your part, right? So if you were a bass or if you were a soprano or if you were an alto or whatever your part was, it was an invitation to sing that part and all of those parts, all that note part. A lot of us don't really read music, but if you, if you look at those things, all those different notes are, are telling, they're instructive to different parts of singing. And I think that's, that's actually a helpful analogy. I'm not saying that it's ultimate, but it's instructive. If you've ever sang like that, and, and I would just say, if you know harmony, if you, if you know how to sing, and you can sing more than just the melody, I would invite you to do that. That there is something to that. It's an analogy. It's an instructive analogy to the church. It was a little way of reinforcing to the church body that we're not all the same. That we have to consider one another. That we have to trust one another. That we shouldn't overpower one another. If you ever sing in a choir, right? It teaches you those things. Like if you sing bass, you probably don't also sing soprano, right? You, you have to be reminded, okay, there's different people that have different gifts than I do, and that's good. If you're singing the harmony part, you ever sing in a choir and you're singing the harmony part, you kind of have to trust that whoever's singing the melody is going to come in on time. You know, it's a little, there's almost a moment where it's, you're a little scared, Am I just going to look like a fool because this person doesn't sing their part? There's a, there's a sense where we're trusting, you know, one another. We're saying all of this served the church for a long time as an analogy to how the body works. Today, we're going to look at a passage, an instruction that I think is incredibly important for our life together. And it's related to this. It's a simple instruction. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Just like the singing. You're not all the same. You have to consider one another. God didn't make you all the same. You, it's, it's, it, in a choir, if someone sings really, really loud and overpowers all the other parts, it doesn't sound good. You have to sometimes hold back. If someone doesn't sing out, if they're nervous and they don't sing their part, that doesn't sound good either, right? All the parts are needed. All the parts have to understand that there's other parts, that there's other things going on. And that's the instruction to the church. That's the instruction to you as a Christian. Live in harmony with one another. We've been in a series this month that we're talking about life together. What is life together in the church? If you are a Christian, you're inextricably called to be a part of a family of faith, to be a part of a local church. 
And so what we've been doing to talk about this is we've been looking at the one another commands of Scripture. There's 59 of them, and we're not going to get to all of them, but this is an important one. Live in harmony with one another. You know, this is not like how most of the world lives. Harmony is a popular world right now. You know, people like to talk about harmony. Are you in harmony with yourself? Do you have harmony with the universe? But it's not a time where we're really talking about being in harmony with one another. We're really talking about things like inconveniencing yourself for one another, willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of one another, seeking to understand one another. It's a very divided time. It's a very tribal time. And and this can be true of even Christians, in some circles, Christians can be known, and I just want to give this as a loving warning, as jerks. This shouldn't be true of us. That's ultimately worldliness, where we behave like the world in order to defend what we necessarily believe. Now, we are confessional people, and we're not ashamed of that. We are unified in the truth that we believe, in the truth that we believe God has spoken to us. But how we speak that truth to one another is not in hate, (laughs) it's not in fear, it's not as a tribe, it's not like the world speaks, it's not proving ourselves. We speak the truth in love, considering the other person, being thoughtful toward the other person, not that we don't disagree, but when we do, it's not self-aggrandizement out to prove how wise we are, smart we are. And we speak that truth if we have to disagree with a broken heart that someone else may be caught in error in something that won't lead them to fellowship with God. Live in harmony with one another. Consider the other person. Consider how they may be different than you. Consider that their part, even though it's different than your part, might be important. Now, if you're with us in 2018, we actually looked at Romans 12 for 13 weeks. We spent 13 weeks on just nine verses. It was a deep study in this. I I love Romans 12. If you're saying, what's a passage of Scripture I could read uh, over and over again? I would say, read Romans 12. It's great instruction just for what the Christian life is to be like. And all of the instructions in Romans 12, including this one, stem off something Paul says in the very beginning of the chapter. And, and in 2018, I gave, I, we kept saying this, and I gave you this analogy. Let me, let's read that passage. It's Romans 12, 2. It basically says, don't be worldly. <laughs> don't be like the world. Don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed. Be different from the world. You're all in the stream of the world, but be different from the world. Go against the world. Don't be like the world. By the renewal of your mind, allow God to renew you, to remake you, that by testing, as we kind of go through these tests, as we live life together, as we face challenges, as God transforms us, that we would behave as he behaved, that we would be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be like the world. Be like God. And the analogy I gave to you was one of the beach. You ever go to the beach and you get out in the surf and you start playing in the surf? It'd be fun to go to the beach uh, on a day like today. Um, 
and you go to the beach and you're playing in the surf, not like this weather at the beach, but in a warm place today, but you get out on the beach and you're playing in the surf and you're having fun and you're fighting all the waves and you're riding the waves, you know what I'm talking about? And, and the next thing you know, you look up, you've been playing in the surf for a few minutes, you look up and you realize that somehow, you don't even know how it happened, you're 100 yards down from where you started. Your towel that you went straight out from is way over there. You're like, how did I get down here? And it's because you were so busy fighting all of the waves that were coming at you this way that you didn't realize that all the while there was a current that was pushing you this way. And I think that life is like that, right? We've got all these waves coming at us. We've got our jobs and our relationships and our finances and this struggle and that struggle and this problem and that struggle. We're facing all the time and trying to get past them and past them. And all the while we live in a current. And you live in a current that is different from the character, different from the heart of God. It's a worldly current. And I think what this passage is saying is, look, there are times in your life, this is why this is so important. When you need to realize that, You need to stop playing in the surf for a little while. You need to realize that your towel is way over there, and you need to walk back up the beach. This is why we push things like corporate worship. This is why we push you toward personal devotional time and family worship, toward your community groups. Those are the moments when you get out of the surf for a little while and walk up the beach and get re-centered on what is true and right and real. That's the time when we're different from the world, but it's hard to cut against the world. It's hard to go against that current. Don't be conformed. Don't get caught in the current. Be transformed and living in harmony. This is different than worldliness. This is not like the world. It, it actually says, serve others, consider others, take the spotlight off yourself, inconvenience yourself. But this command is so close to the heart of God. It's not just obeying God, I would say. When we obey this command, we actually become like God. We believe in God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons that exist in triunity, we call this the Trinity, they exist in triunity, in perfect love and peace and unity and harmony with one another. In fact, the church Fathers talked about this, the periochorus. You've heard me talk about this before, the great dance. It's a, it's a sign to the harmony that God exists in. God doesn't exist without a sense of harmony between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you live in harmony with one another, when you consider the other, when you love the other, you're not just acting godly, you're being like God. You're not just reflecting the character of God, you're actually reflecting the nature of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like this world that's only concerned with itself, that's tribal and divided and against one another. Be like God. Live in harmony with one another. Now, the question becomes, how? (laughs) How do you do that? How are we ever going to live like this? What does this even mean? And I think there's three calls in the passages that come next that are incredibly important for us. The first is a call to humility. The second is a call to thoughtfulness. And the third is a call to forgiveness. 
So let's look at these. A call to humility. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So in order to live in harmony with one another, this is the call of humility, the command is this, don't be haughty. The, the, transla- the translation literally says, don't think about yourself in a self-exalted kind of way. Don't be haughty. Don't always be thinking of yourself, but associate with the lowly. You know, Rainer, my five-year-old, has really gotten into Auburn basketball because Auburn's a basketball school now. By the way, congratulations to all my George Bulldog fans. You know, good job. You know, y'all did good. But, um, but uh, yeah, Auburn's a basketball school now. So Rainer is all excited about our basketball. He's always asked me, what are we ranked now? What are we ranked now? And, it, and you know, he, he always thinks like, you know, in basketball, you might play two or three games or two, at least two games before the new rankings come out. And so we'll say, well, are we, we moved up. And I said, well, Rainer, the, the polls come out every Monday, every Monday. And, and all Auburn fans, if you're an Auburn fan, we're on pins and needles. We're going to get that big number one ranking this week. We don't know. But Rainer, Rainer's thinking about it. And I was thinking about that, how he's just very obsessed with our ranking and how we're waiting for the new polls to come out. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this passage, and I have some friends that, you know, have lived in uh, or that do live in Washington, D.C., and if you've ever lived in D.C., it's, it's a city very consumed with power, with rank, and the way that my friends have described it is, you know, Washington, D.C., everybody's got a number, right? The president's number one, and everybody else is ranked down from there, and so you're always kind of thinking, where am I? Who am I meeting? You know, what have I done? You know, this week I started off the week at number 846, most powerful person in Washington, D.C., but I hung out with number 210 and number 125, and I made this thing happen, and now I'm number 810, right? I moved up a little bit. Now, Atlanta's not exactly like that, but it's got some of that, doesn't it? There's, there's a sense of that. There's a desire for that. Am I doing the right thing? Do I work for the right company? You know, my kids go to the right school. Do I live in the right place? Have I hung out with the right kind of people? It's part of the course of this world, right? I want to move up in rank. And if that's true, and if that's where we live, and if that's the course that we're in, it's very hard to associate with the lowly. I mean, really associate with the lowly. You might give money to the poor in some sort of superficial way, especially if somebody knows about it, then it's good PR, right? Then it's, you're going to improve your rank. But I'm talking about associating with someone that if other people knew you were associating with them, you might lose rank. They may question you. What's, what's wrong with him? Why is he hanging out with them? Why is he so concerned about them? Why is she giving so much time to them? Some of you might be haughty. You're not willing to associate with people that don't improve your rank. You're not willing to forsake yourself for others. You'll never be able to live in harmony with one another if you're full of haughtiness, self-aggrandizement. Until we're really willing to say, look, I'm willing to give time to give my life to this person, to disciple this person, to come alongside this person, because I want them to really know the one who has all rank, Jesus. 
As long as we're haughty, as long as we're always after our rank, we'll never be able to live in harmony with one another. We'll always have the attitude of, I don't really have time for people like that. I don't really have time to do things like that. I, I really can't be generous in that way. It might hurt my rank. If we're ever going to live in harmony with one another and reflect not only the way of God, but the very nature of God, we must hear and respond to the call of humility. Secondly, the call of thoughtfulness. If we want to live in harmony with one another, there's a call of thoughtfulness. Do you know that Christians are called to be thoughtful? We should talk about this more because it's not been talked about enough. You're called to be thoughtful. Jesus used the word shrewd. You're called to be thoughtful. Look at verse 17. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, think, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What do you do when someone offends you? What do you do when someone is evil to you? What, what, what is the immediate Christian response? And you know what it is? It's to stop and think. To give thought. What is my right response here? I, I think, I think we're, we're in one camp or the other. We're either like too emotionally reactionary or we don't do anything, right? We don't do what is honorable. We don't respond, right? And that can lead to all sorts of bitterness and anger and all these sorts of things too. But the Christian response, when someone is evil against you, when someone sins against you, is to stop and think. To be thoughtful. To do not just the right thing, but the wise thing. I recently read uh, Ron Chernow's book on Washington. Um, if you're not familiar, he, he wrote the book on Hamilton that Lin-Manuel Miranda turned into the musical Hamilton. But Chernow, if you've ever read anything by him, it's, it, I'd recommend it, but it's, it's a chore. So you really have to buckle down. He really goes deep. But anyway... Um, I was impressed by Washington um, for many reasons, but, but one of the reasons is he was so thoughtful. He, he really had a lot of self-control. When, when people would offend him, you know, so he had all these generals that were always kind of disregarding him or disobeying him or, or kind of spreading bad press about him, really trying to kind of disparage him. He was so thoughtful. He, he, it was amazing how he would respond, and, and and just the way that he responded. You know, when they were, um, when they were being cowardly, he would be courageous. When they were hot tempered, he could be cool. He, he just really gave thought to what is the right response here. There was one time when he had received a letter that was that he thought was battle instruction, but it was really one of his generals writing to another official about how bad Washington was and about how much of a fool he was. This is one of his generals, and he's disparaging his commanding officer, and Washington reads this. And what was his response? Does he go and chew that guy out? Did he go? Actually, what he did is he sent the letter back to the general who wrote it with a note that said, I assumed this was battle commands. I realize now it wasn't intended for me. That's all he said. And that general immediately tenured his resignation. It was a thoughtful response. He just kind of knew how to do it. I mean, are we like that? When someone's evil against us, when someone dishonors us, do we give thought 
to do. Again, it's not that Christians are inactive when evil comes against us, but do we give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all? And at least in Washington's case, as he did this, he, he really won the day. His men loved him. They wanted to follow him. They, they respected his incredible thoughtfulness and self-control. Is that true of us? If we want to live in harmony with one another, we can't always just be responding to one another. And we also can't be inactive. That will divide us. When someone commits evil against you, if you respond with evil, that will divide you. When someone commits evil with you, if you totally withdraw and don't do anything in response, that will divide you. How do we live in harmony? How do we stay in harmony? We give thought to do what is honorable. Here's the deal, guys. Look, we're going to hurt one another. If we're in community with one another, we're going to hurt one another. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes we don't even mean to hurt one another. We don't even know what we're doing and we hurt people. Sometimes it is intentional. We are just being cruel. We are just being a jerk. We are just being mean because we're sinners. We're going to hurt one another. When that happens, how do we respond? If we respond to evil with evil, that will divide us. If we respond to evil with inaction, with nothing, bearing it, that will also divide us. We respond by giving thought to do the honorable thing, the thing that pleases the Lord, the right kind of response. So that's the call of thoughtfulness. We've looked at the call of humility. Finally, the call of forgiveness. Look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul goes on, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is all instruction on how we can live in harmony with one another. This is all instruction on how we will not be conformed to the course of this world, but be transformed to be like God. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. You know when we are most passionate about justice? You know what I've found? Christians, we care about justice, right? We want the right thing to happen. But you know when oftentimes we're most passionate about justice is when we are the victim of injustice. That's when we get really fired up about justice. You know, it's interesting. You'll find yourself being really passionate about making sure the right thing happens when it's involving you but turning a blind eye to maybe a huge event when it doesn't involve you, when it's about someone else. You know, if we really loved justice, if we really had the heart of God, we would be equally concerned with justice, with what is right, when we are the offending party or when someone else is the, offending, uh, the offended party. But we don't have that heart. We have a self-centered heart. We don't really love justice. We really just love ourselves oftentimes. But the call of forgiveness, this, this call here is, I think, a call to this, to have the heart of God, to love what is just, to trust the justice of the Lord. If you, if you really loved what is just, you, you wouldn't be so concerned with avenging yourself, but you would be concerned with taking a right, just action. You know, God has given us a lot of means by which his justice is carried out. He's given us a church for church discipline. He's given us a government to carry out, uh, you know, 
means of justice here on the earth. He's given us a court system. He's given us means of justice. God himself here is saying, I am final justice, right? Even if all these other worldly systems fail, I will bring justice ultimately in my final judgment. And as we care about justice and as we trust in the justice of God, I think we'll know the right action to take. When it's small offenses, we won't be so concerned with getting even. We won't be so concerned with defending our reputation. When it's a small offense, we may be able to overlook it. When it's an ongoing offense, somebody has a sin pattern that's hurting you, we'll follow Matthew 18 and do what God says of how discipline and correction should happen in the church. If someone robs you or does something, God has given us a police force. He's given us a means to carry out justice. When someone breaks a contract with you, he's given us a system of law and attorneys. This is not a call to inaction, but it's a call to the right kind of action, To, to love justice and not just love yourself. I think that's the principle. Do you really love justice? Do you really love the justice of God or do you just love yourself? Do you just care about your reputation being offended? Do you just care about you being put in a bad light? Or do you really love justice? Do you really trust the justice of God? And as we do, as we do this, we'll be able to forgive. We'll be able to overlook. We'll be able to be restored when someone's paid the due penalty. We'll be able to really live in harmony with one another because we actually love the justice of God. And as we do, we'll be able to reflect not just the character, but the nature of God. The the truth is, though, let's be honest, this is hard. It's hard to live in harmony with one another. It's hard to really live in harmony with one another because we hurt one another and we sin against one another and people don't think about you as much as you think that they should think about you. And people are selfish and people aren't humble. People struggle to forgive. This is all hard. We fail at this all the time. And the truth is we, we don't just fail with this and before one another. We fail at this with God. Who of us has truly been humble before God? Who of us is really rightly thoughtful toward the things of God? Who of us actually forgives as if we have been forgiven by God? This is hard for us. How are we ever going to live in harmony with one another if we can't even live in harmony with God? But the good news for us is that God has sent us a Savior. And Jesus came fully listening to the call of humility. Jesus came, the Son of God, who the Bible tells us is fully the form of God in the very nature of God. Jesus is fully the same substance as the Father. Yet, what did he do? He humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. He took on your sin and my sin. He became obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death on a cross. He responded to the call of thoughtfulness. Jesus thought of you. You ever thought about that? Jesus was thoughtful towards you. I mean, even when we read in the life of Christ, he came to his own people and they rejected him and they were cruel to him and they disowned him. They didn't didn't believe him. And yet he was still thoughtful toward them. And how, how many of us, the same way, we've rejected him. We've not been thoughtful toward him. Yet he's still thoughtful toward you. And Jesus has come responding to the call of forgiveness. 
He was so willing to forgive you that he was willing to take on your burden of sin against God. He was willing to take on all that so that you could be forgiven. Don't you see what Jesus has done for you? He who always shared perfect harmony with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, Jesus who always was in harmony with the Father was willing to be put out of harmony. So then in him, through faith in him, through faith in his righteousness and through faith in his atoning death and through faith in his life-giving resurrection, you could be brought into harmony. You could know harmony with God, fellowship with God. And if that's happened to you, if you really believe that, if you really believe that, it would change you. It would change you. If you really believe that God himself was willing to humble himself so that you could be brought into fellowship with God, you would be humble. It, it, would, it, would, it would create a humility in your heart if you really believed that God was thoughtful toward you and thoughtful toward these people around you. You would be, it would change the way that you respond to one another if you really believed that God had forgiven you, that God himself forgave you in Christ, forgave you, took, took your sins away from you. You would be forgiving. Has this happened to you? You know, we can't be in harmony with one another until we're in harmony with the Lord. And the only way to be in harmony with the Lord is to look to Christ, who humbled himself, who thought of us, who's forgiven us. Have you looked to him? Have you really looked to him? Have you really received this forgiveness? Have you really come aware of his thought toward you? Have you seen how humble he was in order that you may be saved? Have you seen that he was put out so that you could be brought in and have fellowship with God. And one of the ways that we're going to remember that as we close our service is through communion. The, the Lord has given us this great act, and it's one of the reasons that I'm so glad we're here together today to celebrate this together, to take communion together. And, and as we do this, taking the Lord's Supper, we, we look in a couple of different directions. The first way that we look when we take these elements is we look back. We look back to the cross. We look, we look to what Jesus has done for us. We remember, who are we? We were someone who was totally outcast from God because of our sin, but who's been totally beloved and called to be a son or daughter of God because of what Jesus has done for us. We look back at what Jesus has done for us. We look around when we take communion. We take it together. You know who he is and who she is. They're children of God. They're people that Christ has forgiven. They're people that God has loved. And if that's true, and if you love Jesus, then how could you not forgive them? How could you not love them? We look around when we take communion. We realize we're a part of a body. And I just want to say this to you today. If there is some division in here, one of the instructions that we read in Corinthians, if there's division among you, that should be settled before you come to the Lord's table. There may be somebody here today that you need to go confess something to. You need to go ask for their forgiveness. There may be somebody today that has asked for your forgiveness that you need to actually go and forgive and say, I have harbored bitterness against you. Please forgive me for this. Let's, let's, let's be reunited. Let's live in a harmony with one another. So we look, we look back, we look around, and then finally we look ahead. We look forward. We look forward to the day when all things are made right. The new Jerusalem, when Christ has put away all our sin, when his reign is fully known, when his harmony, the, the biblical word for it 
is really shalom. When the wholeness, when the peace, when the shalom, the harmony of God is rightly known. When we won't need faith anymore because we can see it. It's all around us. And so as we look back, as we look around, as we look forward, let's look in all of those directions in faith until the day that we need no faith, until the day when it's all been completed in Christ. And I just invite you to meditate on these things, to pray about these things, let these truths seep deep into your heart as we prepare now to take this meal together. And I do invite you, if you are a believer here today, if you are looking to Jesus, if your identity and life is in Christ, and I ask you to take these elements and hold them, we'll take them together corporately here in just a few moments. And if you're not a believer, these things are true. If there is some sin that God is pressing on your heart, a division that he has made aware to you even in this moment, then I would ask you to not take this meal, to settle those things, to make those things right before you come again to the Lord's table. So let's let the Word of God, the Spirit of God, work among us now as Will leads us.